Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Josh Patrick, and he is a serial entrepreneur who has been obsessed with what it takes for private businesses to become economically and personally sustainable for over 40 years. His program, The Sales Ready Company, helps private business owners learn what it takes and how, how to implement the strategies that will make their company sale ready, even if they have no interest in selling. This helps private business owners avoid burnout and learning too late that they'll never be able to leave their businesses on their terms. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lance. Yeah, we had a great conversation. I was just on your podcast, so uh, I would love to be on it again, and maybe you can be on again as well. Um, Why don't you, first of all, tell us about yourself and and your business? Well, I have two businesses today. One is the traditional wealth management firm, where we help people um, go through the two sides of money or two sides of transitions. One is obviously the economic side. There's also a huge social side that happens when you have a major transition in your life, and we define major transitions as four events that could usually happen. Divorce, loss of a spouse, retirement, or sale of a business. Now, there's lots of other transitions that happen which are smaller, but those are the four biggies that people have. So what we've learned is that, yeah, the financial planning world is great at doing the financial side, but most of the financial planning world is really bad at doing the social side, which are the things that are going to happen to get you in the way as you're getting ready to leave your business. My other business is called the Sustainable Business, and it's now morphing into the sale-ready company because what happens is, yes, a sustainable business is great, but why do you want to have it? And you want to have a sale-ready company, not because you want to sell your business, but because you're going to love your business, you're going to make more money and have more fun. And what happens normally is when we help someone develop a sale-ready company, I go to them and say, hey, you want to sell your business? And they look at me like I'm nuts. And the reason they look at me like I'm nuts is because they're making too much money and having too much fun. Mm -hmm. And the truth is most people never want to sell their business if their business is successful. When they look at you like you're nuts, um, what's your, what's your, what's your response to them? Is it, is it something, what I was, what I was guessing it might be is that you're having so much fun and you're making so much money. Now's the perfect time. It seems like you're at the peak to sell. Well, yeah, but what comes after that? See, there's a problem when you sell your business, and which is step eight in our sale-ready company. We have eight steps to get to a sale-ready company. And step eight is what's next. And the truth is, when you're an entrepreneur or you're a private business owner, is being the business owner is really all-encompassing. And as a writer of it being all-encompassing, most people own private businesses don't build rich lives outside their business. So we want you to build that rich life outside your business before you leave your business, not after you leave your business, because if you do it afterwards, it's too late and you're going to develop a huge amount of pain along the way. And with many business owners, if you deal, if you build the sale ready company, you're going to have lots of time to build that rich outside business interest at the appropriate time because you've made yourself operationally irrelevant 
which means you're only involved in the strategic part of your business, mm-hmm. not the tactical part of your business. And the strategic part doesn't take much time, and the tactical part takes way too much time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think uh, I wouldn't say I'm close to that with one of our companies, but we are. I've always one of my best the the best mentor I ever had was uh, he he was the first real client we had. And that was his best advice to me is he said, you need to, you need to learn how to replace yourself. If you ever, if you ever want to really make any money or you want to start another company, you've got to, you got to learn how to replace yourself. Um, so you, you talked about one thing that people don't have maybe a life outside of their business because they're just so focused on their business. When they're starting to get sales ready, then is that, is that something that is another component that you're adding to, to your mentorship with people and your, while you're guiding them through this is like, you got to find something else, either a business or something, because this one is going to go away. Or don't sell your business. I mean, there's no rule that says you have to sell your business or leave it. There are plenty of people that die with their boots on and there are enough people I know that do that. Now there are some businesses that's relatively easy to do that with. and some industries it's harder to do it with, but there's no rule that says you have to sell your business. Um, you know, typically, as you get older, you're going to find different interests. And you might make some of those interests into a different career. You know, my kind of belief is that we live in 20 year cycles. And those 20 year cycles, you should probably have a major pivot, major change in what your focus on life is every 20 years. You know, my first 20 years, I was going to school, or actually first 25 years, I went to school and grew up and did all the things we did in young. The next 20 years, I had a food service and vending company that we grew from one employee to 90. I sold that in 1995, went into the wealth management business, started a financial planning firm, and now I'm making a pivot into becoming a content creator. Mm-hmm. I'm just in the process of finishing my second book. And probably for the next 20 years that I'm alive, and hopefully I'll be alive for that long, I plan to write, you know, a book every year, year and a half. Because uh, frankly, I've got tons of stuff I want to talk about. There's tons of things I'm interested in. And I'm kind of morphing in that's into my next thing that I'm going to be doing. So it's okay to morph from one thing to another. Once you choose an industry, doesn't mean you're stuck with that industry for the rest of your life. Truth is, for many of us, the industry is going to go away. That's what happened to me. And if the industry goes away or it becomes a very mean, nasty, dangerous place, you probably want to find something else to do. So having that flexibility to change direction, I don't really like the term pivot, by the way. So I, use, I heard you use see. morph. I like the word morph as well. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it, it, you know, there's no rule that says you have to stick doing the same thing forever. Now, I will tell you one thing for sure. If you don't become operationally irrelevant, you're going to get burned out. Because doing tactical stuff is hard and is boring. And like, you know, you said, like, you know, I want to become operationally irrelevant. My feeling is that operational irrelevance becomes a real possibility when you get to about 25 or 30 employees. Under that, you really have to be involved in at least part of the tactical things in your business because it's not just big enough to allow you to get outside that. But you do want to start replacing that $15, $20 per hour job that we all do. And you can hire someone for to do that 
which gives you more freedom to do higher value things. I like to have people think about what I call the $5,000 per hour job. And sometimes it becomes $100,000, sometimes a half a million dollars per hour by just making a decision. But you can't do that if I'm banging nails into a board or yeah. filling vending machines or doing Facebook ads or anything of that nature. You really have to have time to be thinking and acting in a strategic manner. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, what, do you, what are the four drivers uh, of an economically and personally sustainable business and why, do, why, why are they important? Um, <laughs> without them, you can't have a sustainable business. So right. that's, that's, a, that's why they're important. But let's go through. The first one is probably the most controversial and that's you have to become values-led. Now, I know your company, Lance, because we just talked about this is a values-led company. But I'm going to tell you that values-led companies outperform companies that don't have clearly articulated values by a massive amount. And the reason is if you're not values-led, there is no way in the world you can get everybody on the same page. And if everyone's not on the same page, that means people are making up what they should be doing and how they keep your customers happy. But if you're a values-led company, that allows you to do that. Now, if I'm building a sale-ready company and I want to build my company to sell, I'm going to tell you a third-party buyer, which is somebody from outside your organization, isn't going to care two cents about your values. But because your value is led, you're going to have built a great company that other people are going to want to own. You're probably not going to want to sell, but other people are going to want to own. So value being values led is number one. Number two, which is the most important skill you can learn as a business owner, and we already talked about this, is becoming operationally irrelevant. And the number one skill in learning how to become operationally irrelevant is to become what I call a delegating ninja. And very few business owners ever learn to be any good at delegating. And the reason is they try it once or twice. It doesn't work because nobody's good at delegating out of the box. They either over control or they under control, but they never get it right. And it takes a lot of practice to get it right. So they say, it doesn't work. I can't do it. I have to do everything myself. Your business is never, 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 never going to grow. It's going to be you and a bunch of helpers. You can grow maybe to 15, maybe 20 people. But past that, your business will blow apart if you can't delegate well. Number three is have a recurring revenue stream. And a recurring revenue stream is great if you have a natural one, like a wealth management business, has a natural recurring revenue stream. <clears throat> but the consulting business doesn't. So I have to create a sales process that duplicates a recurring revenue stream and how I go doing things. The number four is you have to systematize your business because without systems, you cannot grow a business. You have everybody doing their own thing and going their own direction. And you want systems for two reasons. Systems allow your employees to know what excellence is so they can be excellent at their job. And systems allow your customers to know what they expect so they have a consistent experience every time they work with your company. So if you do those four things, and there's a bunch of subsets, by the way, within those four things. If you do those four things, you are going to grow a business that is highly sustainable, a ton of fun to run, and you're going to be successful personally and economically. 
yeah, your I business. Could, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's, I mean, you, you kind of you touched on a bunch of principles that we already talked about today that I talked about. Uh, so that's all great stuff. Uh, for people that are delegation, how, how I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There, there is one, right now there's one thing I just can't delegate right now. And it's, it's sales. Sending, I'm not, we're not quite sure about, we are in the process of training a few of our higher up folks about how to do sales. I think that'd probably be the last leg at this point for, for them to really understand. How do you, do you, have you, do you have any success stories of people you've mentored maybe, or that you've seen or, or places they could go to look or learn about if they've tried what you've talked about and failed, you know, they try to delegate they control too much or control too little, but they're not this happy medium where it's more touch and go. You know, you, you, delegation doesn't mean you're completely letting go. It means you're able to let go of most of it in my world. Yeah, my, my first mentor had a great definition of, of delegation, or what you needed for delegation. You used to call it EIA. And EIA stands for expect, inspect, accept. So you need to have clear expectations of what you want to have done. You need to inspect to make sure the work that you've been done has been done the way you want. And a lot of times when you first start delegating, you're going to get to the inspect, you're going to say it wasn't right, and you throw up your hands and say, I can't delegate, it didn't work right. Instead, what you really need to go back to is to go back and reset the expectation for what you want and then re-inspect. And you keep doing that till you get it right. And once it's right, then you accept the work and you move on. Now, it's easy to do that when I have a system. I have a system. I can delegate into a system incredibly easily. So the answer to your question about sales is sales is just a system. And you need to have a sales process. What do you expect to do? What do you want to do with a customer to move them from being a prospect to being somebody who is interested in what you're doing to a customer along the way? Now, when you do that well, you have a system. And my belief is almost everything in business can be systematized. And by the way, systems don't tie people in. They actually give people more freedom because you have rails that you can go between. And nobody wants to make mistakes. Nobody wants to do it wrong. And systems help you to do it right. Um, There's two great books, which I highly recommend for creating great sales systems. One is called The Challenger Sale, and the other is called The Challenger Customer, both written by the same people. I would start with The Challenger Sale first because that's about how to be a great salesperson, and The Challenger Customer tells you how to go into the multi-part sale. So if you're, I mean, Lance, I know you sell um, to homeowners and you sell to commercial. Your homeowners, Challenger Customer is great, commercial challenger customer would be great because there are more than one decision maker when you're commercial um, development. And that's the, you know, the, the thing is, who are you selling to? And one of the things I've, I've thought for years, and this comes back from my vending days, is that in almost every sales situation, there's a customer and there's a client. And they're often two completely different people with completely different needs. And if you don't fill both those needs, you never make the sale. So you need to be aware of who the stakeholders are in the sales process, which is where the challenger customer comes in. And you need to find out who is actually making the decision and get in front of that person. Although it's usually the hardest person in the whole group to get a hold of. And they don't even want to talk to you in the first place. They don't yeah. want to. Yeah. 
they're too busy making those $500,000 an hour decisions, right? Maybe that's, that's where it's at. Basically. Yeah. Uh, can you expand on, on one last thing um, before I let you go? And cause it, which was, which is systems and, and people there's, I think there's a, there's a, a lie that, that is going around in people's heads and that's if they hate systems it's because they feel like they're going to be boxed in. Can you expand yes. on how that actually leads to more freedom? Well, what it does is allows you to, and it really depends on the job. You know, for example, if I have a sales process where I want you to, um, here was the sales process we had in our food service company. Contact with the customer, meeting with a, with a buyer, taking a tour of the plant, getting them to allow us to feed everybody in the factory, and then closing the deal. And if we got to feeding everybody in the factory, we would close the deal 95% of the time because our food was way better than anybody else's. Now you mentioned this as having excellence at what you're doing. If you're not great at what you do, it's really hard to sell what it is, but we were the best in our industry and we did things that nobody else would do. You know, we would have a, you know, so by doing that, it allows the person to say, okay, I want to go to this step, but how do I get to that step is up to me. But I need to go through these steps. Now, if I try to skip the step, then it's not going to do that. Same thing in the hiring. We had a hiring system, which would get us success 85% of the time. When we didn't use the hiring system, we got us success 35% of the time. But hire, following the hiring system wasn't, we never said what questions to ask. What we did do is we trained people why you needed to focus on the value part of the conversation and ask open questions. And we'd teach people how to ask open questions but we didn't tell them what those open questions were. We just said, you need to focus here. And we train people on how to do that. So that gave people guardrails, but plenty of parameters to go mm -hmm. with it. Now, business owners don't even like that much systems. And business owners will push back at me terribly when I say you need to systematize your business. And what they think I'm telling them to do is they have to systematize the business. No, they don't. The person doing the job should write the system for that job. And the reason for that is very simple. The person doing the job is the expert at that job. Once I've delegated the job, I am no longer the expert at it because I'm not doing it anymore. So why should I write the system around it? The person doing the job should write the system. And by the way, systems should only be checklists. They should not be long paragraphs with pages and pages and pages of operational manuals because nobody reads them. So checklist, 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 make it simple, make it easy, but make it understandable and have a success path for the people who are working with you because they want to know what they need to do to be successful. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It, that, was, that was brilliant. I, I really liked your point about uh, once, you, once you are done doing the task and you've, tr you've delegated to somebody else and they, they become the expert, they should be one making the checklist. I think that's literally where we're at in our firm right now is we are having probably our top employee. He's making videos. He's doing that because he's, he, now he's going to, then he'll transition to that. So, so critical. Last question uh, is, and I asked this to everybody and it'll be put on the spot here is if you can go back in time to when you first started your, first, your very first business and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself today? Stop being an asshole. <laughs> I mean, I was the most abusive 
not taking responsibility owner who ever existed. I would scream at somebody every single day for the first four years I was in business, and it did not serve me well. Once I learned how to take personal responsibility and stop blaming others and making excuses, the world changed, which is why personal responsibility is my number one core value. If you're not personally responsible, you're not going to make it in my company. You're not even going to make it in my life, much less my company. So that's essentially how that worked out. Beautiful. Beautiful, Josh. It was a pleasure having you on. If people want to connect with you, if, they, if they're interested in any of your businesses and engaging with you, how do, how, do they, how do they find you? How do they follow you? How do they get in touch with you? It's really easy. Email is jpatrick at stage2planning.com. And two is number two. That's jpatrick at stage2planning.com. And if they want to get my free ebook on how to create a sale-ready company, it's really easy. You go to www.sustainablebusiness.co forward slash sale-ready, and that's .co, not .com. Because I don't know why someone thought that was a good idea, but they did. They did. (laughs) Josh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on uh, Monday Morning Coffee today. Thanks a lot, Lucas. Appreciate the time. 